so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. And I just saw in the news this morning that the PGA is opening up with some social distancing. So without fans, but golf is going to come back. So sports are on the rise. I thought golf was social distance already. I thought, It's the best of the social distancing ones, right? But... Hey, Lindsay, I just just realized something. You don't don't actually listen to our podcast, do you? (laughs) Did we talk about (laughs) golf last week? We actually talked about it two or three weeks ago. Oh, well, I can't remember a couple weeks in advance. That's true. And in your defense, all the all the weeks and all the days are running together. So yeah, They are. <laughs> <laughs> when did you talk about golf? Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today, as always, are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello, everybody. And Brent Leatherwood. Howdy, friends. It's great to see you guys and talk to you on the podcast. Uh, Later in the show, we're going to have a special guest, Greg Pickering, who is the pastor of Brazos Point Fellowship in Lake Jackson, Texas, and we're excited to talk to Greg later in the show. But for now, Lindsay, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. Okay, guys, so I'm excited because the first article that I'm going to highlight today is one, well, is of a type that I don't think we've had before. And that's because it's written by a faithful woman who is 91 years old, which is just so cool because she's lived a lot of life, walked with the Lord for a long time. And she actually gives us her perspective on loneliness and isolation in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Her name is Jessie Sandberg, and she's actually um, Catherine Parks, who we've had on this podcast. It's her um, grandmother-in-law, so her husband's grandmother. And uh, Brent, you'll be glad to hear this, but she lives in Chattanooga. And there she serves and is faithful. She she was married for 65 years before her husband died. And she's got four children and about 30 grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So uh, she just shares some of her perspective. It's really moving and really encouraging. Uh, and I want to be like her when I grow up. Well, I'm thankful that she contributed this piece to us. And I just imagine 91 years, everything that she's seen, whether it was, you know, World War II or the chaos of the 1960s. I mean, she has seen our cultural ups and downs in this country and just what a testimony uh, that she has. Yes, such a testimony. And so, you know, when somebody like that writes an article, you your eyes open wider, your ears perk up and you pay attention because you know that they're really uh, they've really lived what they're writing about. So, Lindsay, she she focuses on loneliness and isolation. Was was there anything that you just kind of stood out for you? 
Well, a lot of her emphasis was on prayer and how she wants to be faithful to purposefully use this time in isolation. So basically, she says, it's as if the Lord was speaking to her heart, you know, all these years I've given you these things, these great things, but am I not enough for you? I will satisfy the longings of your heart and I will be your company. And so she's taking this time uh, to press into the Lord and to know him better and, um, And that's convicting for me uh, that all of my days I would live as if I need to know the Lord more and more and more because I need to. So next, um, shifting topics, we have an article from Herbie Newell, who's the president of Lifeline Children's Services. He has an important article about why international adoption is still a viable instrument in child welfare. And he wrote this article because... He says, after decades of steady growth, the landscape of international adoption has shifted dramatically in recent years. So since 2004, he says, the number of adoptions into the United States from other countries has dropped more than 80% as some nations have halted all international adoptions. Um, And then you've had some, some agencies here in the United States that no longer participate in international adoptions. And so he's just pointing out why why it's still very important to be involved in international adoption. Lindsay, this is really helpful. And again, uh, just to kind of provide more full context for folks out there, uh, the State Department has international adoptions down to 2,971, which is the lowest in 50 years. This is just uh, an incredible dip that we've seen here in that, and I'm sure it is affecting a number of families uh, that are interested in adopting from overseas. Absolutely. So it's something we'll continue to watch, keep our eyes on, and then also pray about. Uh, And then finally... We have an article by Josh Wester. I bet we'll hear from him in just a second about it. Uh, But he wrote a piece titled, Why Planned Parenthood Doesn't Fit on Mother's Day. And it's because of all places to take to social media and tweet out Happy Mother's Day, you would not expect Planned Parenthood to do this. But Planned Parenthood did. And so, Josh, can you tell us a little bit more about why you wrote this article? Yeah, I mean... It's funny. I remember hearing someone talk about uh, just the process of writing a while ago and said, um, basically, how do you come up with new stuff to write about all the time? And it's like, well, don't worry. The world will bother you uh, at least once a week or several times a week. And there will be things in it, like that are important enough to say. And so uh, on Sunday, it's Mother's Day. And at some point during the day, I'm just mindlessly scrolling through social media. And then I come like I just see this post from uh, Planned Parenthood that was just to me staggering because I. Uh, Planned Parenthood can't comment on a day like Mother's Day apart from some kind of twisted sense of irony because even those people who are, you know, ardent, uh, advocates or pro-choice advocates, uh, they don't want to think about the realities of abortion on a day like Mother's Day. In fact, we'd, we'd prefer to put that put that away. But Planned Parenthood, rather than just letting the day go by, you know, inserted themselves into people's lives by making this comment that anyone who saw it would just be stunned by, including me. And it basically drew me uh, to the point of like reflection to say, look, there are so many families that even as they sat down to their dinner tables uh, on Sunday to celebrate Mother's Day as they shared a meal together, were just pierced by the pain uh, of and a deep sense of loss because they know uh, of of sons or daughters that 
are not sitting down there with them uh, to celebrate those days, that they are mourning uh, over uh, their loss of these children instead of celebrating such a special time with them. And so it's just not something I can move past. Uh, you know, Planned Parenthood is honestly, uh, it, it's an organization that stands against almost everything that we believe in uh, at the RLC in terms of the value of human life. And so uh, my big thing there was that, you know, Planned Parenthood doesn't fit on Mother's Day and we should work and pray for a time when it doesn't fit at all in American mm-hmm. society. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out as we close this section that a Planned Parenthood doesn't only prey on vulnerable children, they prey on vulnerable mothers. Uh, So we want to care for both of those, Um, the moms who are feeling the pain of dealing with an abortion and then the children who are no longer here, who should be here. And so uh, this is just a little taste of the content that we have on our site. So Brent and Josh and our listeners, um, that's what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And before we move into the culture section for the week, I wanted to mention one more piece uh, that showed up. There have been so many conversations as churches have uh, started to begin the process of reopening or other churches are still uh, thinking that that might be some ways off for them before they're able to uh, begin to regather for worship services. And there are Christians who are across, like, are all over the spectrum on how they feel about what the right thing to do is and, and what steps need to be taken or should not be taken. And so uh, Dr. Moore actually addressed this uh, in a piece on his website on Russell Moore talking about how Christians, the posture that Christians should take as they're thinking about churches reopening and really trying to think especially about the need to preserve unity uh, among Christians as we are trying to kind of face an uncertain future and answer a lot of these really hard questions. So that was a really great piece uh, that went up on his website this week. I would encourage uh, listeners to check it out. But Brent, why don't you tell us what's going on in the world of culture this week? Yeah, thanks for that, Josh. I know I'm looking forward to our interview later with Pastor Greg Pickering and kind of asking him his thoughts about that. So that's great. So speaking of questions people have been asking, have members of our audience been asking themselves questions like, do temperature screenings help? Some folks are starting to notice uh, as you go into places, you're getting your temperature read. Or can mosquitoes spread coronavirus? Is it going to be safe to swim in pools later this summer? Well, there was a really helpful NPR piece uh, from this week that tries to provide some answers and the latest thinking about questions just like that. And I thought it was a really helpful piece. And so I just kind of wanted to, to lead off there. Okay. So Brent, I'm super curious about this. Are we going to be able to go to pools this summer? Right. So that was, hey, that's, probably the yes. one, <laughs> that's probably the, the one that folks are going to be most interested in. It just said, bottom line, no, you cannot get COVID-19 by swimming <laughs> in pools. Oh, oh. your no. <laughs> when you said bottom line, no. <laughs> We thought you meant, no, you can't go to the pool. Well, that's good news. Our homeowners association is waiting until the end of May to announce if we open up. So we'll see. But parents with little kids everywhere are on their knees praying pools will be open for the summer. Yeah. And now, Brent, since you're answering our questions, should... when, when is it going to be warm enough to go to the pool? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Let me get out my meteorology hat. I, I, let's be clear, though. That is, can you get it from like actually swimming in the water? Probably what people like your homeowners association and other experts are concerned about would be the social aspect of gathering around the pool. But uh, we we trust parents to uh, be able to police that. (laughs) So, okay, the reason that I thought this was important is because uh, many parts of the country are beginning a phased reopening. And To be clear, it's going to look different in different places. So on one end of the spectrum, for example, this week, 
Washington, D.C. announced that they would be extending their stay-at-home orders until June 8th. So our colleagues at the RLC that uh, are based out of D.C., they unfortunately have another month ahead of them. Elsewhere, places like Chicago are considering um, reopening parts of their city relatively soon, and yet at the same time, they're considering a plan to keep their beaches closed on Lake Michigan throughout the summer. Uh, we learned this week in California that their state university system, which is the nation's largest four-year college system, has plans now to cancel most in-person classes across the, the 23 campuses that form the, the Cal State system, which is just That's incredible. So and it, yeah, exactly. I mean, for kids that are in college, uh, gosh, how yeah. frustrating well, this must be. Yeah, and it's got to... You got to think that this is going to have a massive influence on other colleges throughout the nation since this is the largest college system. That's right. It, it makes me immediately think of our friends at our sister entity, Gateway Seminary, uh, or the folks who are responsible for Cal Baptist and, and other uh, schools just like that. Yeah. And you think about it, like them announcing this move that they're not going to have classes, uh, in-person classes in the fall, that's basically locked in at this point. They're unlikely to change course. There are, you know, a number of colleges and universities across the country that have announced they do plan uh, to resume like in-person classes in the fall. But we all, we know that those are subject to change. I mean, they could easily find themselves in a position where it's just not safe to do that. And so uh, it's just, honestly, it's disheartening to think for, you know, my heart breaks for all of those like college students. And then, you know, it's just such a, it's such a formative and important uh, time in life. And to have it upended uh, like this with no real certainty is just, it's just pretty tough to deal with. That's right. And and to be clear, there are other schools that have signaled uh, they're planning to, to gather again in the fall. So Southern Seminary um, has uh, indicated that they plan to do so. And a lot of secular schools, school most of the schools that form the Southeastern Conference have indicated that they are planning to be back uh, on campus in the fall. So much like we've seen with reopenings, it, it's probably going to be a bit of an inconsistent uh, decision for a number of college campuses this coming fall. At the same time, I also want to point out that there is hopeful news about the overall decline in multiple states across the country. So the New York Times has a graphic that shows uh, really good downward trends in terms of the number of cases. Uh, it highlights states like New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, as well as Tennessee, Iowa, and Georgia. All of these states seem to be on a downward trend, and uh, hopefully that continues and eventually completely bottoms out at zero. I mean, that's certainly something that we all are praying for. Yeah, and I heard on the news today, I know Georgia's in this little graph that we're going to share in the show notes, but that Georgia and Florida, two states that have started reopening, have actually seen declines as things are reopening. So that's that's very hopeful. That's right. Now, that said, even as cases may be declining in a number of places, it's still a very serious matter uh, in others. One place uh, where folks are on high alert may even be the West Wing of the White House. So we learned last weekend that Vice President Mike Pence's press secretary, Katie Miller, tested positive for coronavirus. She's now the second member of White House staff that is known to have tested positive for the virus, the other one being one of the president's personal valets in the residency uh, of the White House. So obviously, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the very top leadership uh, of our nation 
and hopefully neither the president nor the vice president nor anyone else uh, that's a member of White House staff uh, will contract this disease. Yeah, I definitely think about, you know, this has been a concern since the very beginning is that we've seen both the president and the task force that is working uh, to help, you know, steer the ship in terms of trying to address and, and, and deal with the coronavirus crisis. Uh, we've known that they are at increased risk because they've not had the opportunity to slow down or, or stop working, even in close quarters and not in many cases, uh, in order to do the, the vital work that has to be done. And so, I mean, seriously, this is a thing that, that Christians should pray for, regardless of, of you know your politics or how you think about the administration or anything like that. Uh, they're doing vital work that needs to continue, and we should, we should pray uh, for health and safety uh, for uh, the president and those around him uh, that are doing this work. Yeah. And most, probably most members of our audience haven't been able to walk through the the West Wing, but uh, just imagine some, some really close cramped uh, quarters. That's where a number of these high level staffers are working. The offices are very close together. There's a, a number of cubicles that are a part of the West Wing and that just means it's a potential hot zone for the spread of the virus. Hey, Brett, you know, uh, you know where they could get a pretty good idea of what that might be like to experience life in the West Wing. Oh, tell me, Josh Wester. Yeah. So, you know, if you haven't watched the West Wing uh, television series, this is your time. Go ahead and get in there. They can't get an idea of what the West Wing looks like or how the White House operates if they fall asleep 10 minutes into the show. Boring, as one of my friend's daughter says. Man, <laughs> man, that is a hot take for that is a hot take is for, a the hot take. for the ages. I'm uh, just trying to trigger some people uh, that are listening. Oh, they're effectively triggered right now, and because two of them are your co-hosts. So, <laughs> uh, to get back to a more serious note, so uh, clearly the shutdown and coronavirus it's having an effect on our missionaries that are on the field, our Southern Baptist missionaries. So, Baptist Press this week reported that missionaries who temporarily relocated would, quote, be on a temporary assignment in the states per the International Mission Board. President Paul Chitwood, who serves as the president of the IMB, said expiring visas, closed borders, and special health or family circumstances are necessitating that some of our missionaries uh, have to grudgingly leave their places of assignment. And that grieves me for the communities across the globe where those missionaries were serving and spreading the gospel, but it's just a sad reality of this moment. And this week, the Speaker of the U.S. House released a proposal for what's called Phase 4 Coronavirus Relief, and essentially what that means is it's the fourth legislative package aimed at helping in this time. Nancy Pelosi's proposal is seen as a sort of opening bid in congressional negotiations, and the package heavily focuses on state and local relief. Speaking, you know, on behalf of the RLC, one of the things that we were hoping to see uh, included was the removal of certain roadblocks for private giving to go to our churches and other ministry stories. Uh, Baptist Press did a story this week that uh, covered the efforts of the RLC uh, to ask Congress to include certain provisions. Yeah. And, you know, for people who are kind of asking, like, what does that mean or, or how could this really make a difference? I mean, the answer is what we're trying to do is is clear the way to uh, stimulate uh, charitable giving to to religious nonprofits or to nonprofits that do vital work to sustain communities and meet needs that the government oftentimes uh, doesn't have the ability to meet. We, we think that, you know, this work is so important. And obviously, in a time of economic distress, there's going to be uh, like 
it, it puts restraints on or constraints on people's ability to give. And so we're trying to uh, stimulate that giving uh, with, you know, what, one of the things we've added, advocated for is the UCD, the universal charitable deduction. And so Brent, I'm sure you can shed a little bit more light on that. So the reason we've been engaged on this is because we at the RLC feel, as well as sister organizations that are out there, uh, we've expressed concerns that this pandemic and this time of closing is going to probably reduce giving to churches. As a matter of fact, we saw that last month initially with the cooperative program report um, that came from the executive committee, how uh, it is down. And so what we're really concerned about on behalf of churches is that some of our churches may even be forced to permanently shut down should this be an extended closing. So one of the things, as Josh was saying, the UCD, the Universal Charitable Deduction, what we're hoping is that individuals will once again be able to claim credit on their taxes for the giving that they provide to churches and and other nonprofits and charities out there. That would be a significant win and the removal of a major roadblock for private giving. Okay, elsewhere, this is going to be good news, especially for one of our listeners named Marie Delph. You're out there. (laughs) I know she is because she's on the staff at the RLC. But uh, Shanghai Disneyland has reopened over in China. So after three and a half months of closure uh, following the initial outbreak in China, Shanghai Disneyland has reopened its doors to visitors. It admittedly looks quite a bit different and it's definitely less crowded Uh, because they are only allowing, well, they're actually allowing less than the 30% recommendation for capacity. But, you know, you can have a great time getting on the ride at Space Mountain now. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't want people to suffer economically, but 30% capacity at Disney sounds like a dream world (laughs) for those who have been and know the lines and how miserable they are. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's like a lot of room here for discussion. We won't take up too much time with it now, but about which things you would do if you knew you could experience them during this time with with some of, you know, the convenience of not experiencing overcrowding. You know, for example, like I would probably go to Disney. I would probably not get on a cruise right now, even if it were cheap and I were, you know, limited in terms of the number of people who would also be on the cruise with me. I just don't think I could get myself to take that step. Which Josh, now that you mentioned that, I saw in the news this morning that cruises are gearing up to set sail, I think in August, Carnival. Uh, And there were some eager, yeah, there were some eager participants. Josh Wester will not be one of them. Oh, no. And I love cruises. Like, I think that, you know, that that is the ideal vacation for me. But I think that I just couldn't get myself there. It reminds me of those coronavirus videos that went viral with like college students during spring break saying, you know, if I get it, I get it. Like I'm not there at all. Like I'm not, it's just not, (laughs) that's a risk I'm unwilling to take. Oh, uh, youth is wasted on the young. uh, Someone once said. (laughs) All right, moving on. So I thought this was uh, a, a great story to talk about. So the 2020 Gerber baby has been announced. And this child is the first adopted baby that's chosen for the campaign. So Magnolia Earl uh, will celebrate her first birthday this coming Saturday. And she made history after being announced by Gerber that she was the winner. And this is a tradition that dates to 1928. I had no idea. Uh, But the company said that Magnolia is the first Gerber baby who was adopted, making her the latest in a string of groundbreaking Spokes babies from Gerber, following in the footsteps of the the first baby uh, who had Down syndrome, for example, last year. 
That's amazing. And she's sweet. And what a sweet little name, Magnolia. Yeah. Good on Gerber for, for doing this. It was also announced this week that uh, over two and a half million additional Americans filed for unemployment. So that brings the total number up beyond 36 million Americans that are now unemployed since the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak, which obviously uh, is is just a terrible figure uh, and in many ways is unprecedented. But that said, companies are beginning to think long-term about their arrangements for employees. And so one story that was talked about this week was Google now saying that the majority of its employees will work from home until the end of the year. So basically the beginning of 2021. Brent, you know, I also saw on the news that Twitter announced that their employees can stay home forever, basically. So uh, they don't have to return back to the offices. And then as a result of that, the news segment was covering how that would affect the local economy because these businesses bring in so much money. So, I mean, while I enjoy working remotely, even though, you know, I'm sad not to see y'all in person and get to have a little chit chat. It's just good for me to remember that it's not all about me, but it's about others' livelihoods as well. Yeah. And I, I think it's it speaks for, you know, a lot of employers have seen the good work that their employees have, have been able to do from home. Um, at the same time, there are a number of folks who just can't work from home. They have to be on the front lines, particularly as they are serving others, serving customers and consumers. And so uh, we want to be mindful of them. This isn't something that's probably going to work for every workplace, but it's notable because I do think our our culture, our, our professional culture is in many ways changing right before our very eyes. Let's close out with this note from uh, pop culture. Lin-Manuel Miranda announced this week that Hamilton is coming to Disney Plus in July. So the Broadway hit will be coming to a TV screen near you if you are a Disney Plus subscriber. The the filmed version of the Broadway hit was originally scheduled to hit theaters in October, uh, but it's now going to be on our television July 3rd, right in time for the Independence Day holiday. I am so excited about this because I've only listened to the soundtrack. I have not seen Hamilton, and people talk all about how great it is. So I'm excited to see it. But more than that, I'm excited to try to force my husband to sit down and watch it. Because one time I was listening to the music and he looked over at me and he was like, "Ugh, what are you listening to? So I don't think he's a big fan, but I'm going to see if I can convert him. Well, I've never been more disappointed in Justin. So I hope you'll let him know that uh, that just, <laughs> that's just kind of a dagger for me uh, to hear that. But look, I'm so excited. My wife tried to surprise me with tickets to go see Hamilton, but it turns out it was going to cost $4 million or something. And so we didn't end up doing that because, you know, it was just it was just outrageously expensive. But I have been excited for this. I am, uh, you know, a big fan of American history anyway, and specifically, uh, you know, the time period around the Revolutionary War. And so I am just really, really excited about this and looking forward to watching it on Disney+. Plus. Are y'all uh, are y'all ready for my hot take? Uh-oh. Is it like my... Is it, is it akin to my West, West Wing, Wing take? hot take? Yeah. Okay, here it comes. Hamilton is overrated. Not the not the Broadway hit. I'm, I'm sure it's great. Like, the figure, Alexander Hamilton, he's overrated. Like, I'm here for a Broadway show or a movie about James Madison. Like, let me see that. Like I will buy the front row tickets. Alexander Hamilton. 
I don't, uh, uh, I'm not sure. I will say that the uh, biography, that the Hamilton biography is actually really great. And it's better than the companion volume on Washington. And so, you know, that's, I guess, like a pretty mild take. But anyway, I hear you, Brent. I hear what you're saying. But I'm looking forward to it nonetheless, because it's just going to be epic. And maybe Hamilton is an overrated figure. We can debate that more later. Lindsay, Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. So now we're about to talk to Pastor Greg Pickering. Uh, Greg is the pastor at Brazos Point Fellowship in Lake Jackson, Texas, and he is the father of one of our colleagues, Jeff Pickering, who works in our D.C. office, and we're really excited to talk to him today. So, Greg, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. If you would, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're serving in ministry right now? And if you could, tell us one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry. Okay. First of all, Josh, thank you guys for having me. I enjoy your podcast, and um, I'm honored to be on it this morning. Absolutely. I uh, got into ministry uh, when I was in college and became a student minister and did that, thinking that that would be the only thing I would do in ministry and I would retire out of it. But uh, God just kind of changed some things in my heart, and I began to want to do church differently. And so about 20 years ago, we started making plans to start a new church, and uh, I call it Youth Ministry for Big People. Uh, But we planted Brass Point Fellowship in... (laughs) Yeah, I didn't. I didn't come up with that. That wasn't original. Uh, but anyway, we started uh, this church actually 19 years ago at Easter, and uh, it, we call it a church for the unchurched. And we've uh, we just do things differently so that we can reach people who don't go to church and are lost. And so that's how Brazos Point Fellowship was was formed. Uh, our our parent church, First Baptist Lake Jackson, planted us, and they um, did such a great job. They they put us on third base. Uh, with all the support and everything that they gave us. And uh, so Bunt Single brought us home. So we've been doing that, and we're very involved in uh, church planting uh, through the North American Mission Board, through Houston Church Planting. We um, do a lot of work internationally with the IMB and other mission organizations. So that's what we do as a church. Uh, personally, me, I'm married to Kathy, and we have two adult sons. One is, uh, our oldest is Michael. He lives with his family in Georgetown, Texas, and our youngest, as you are aware of, is Jeff, and he lives in D.C., works for the uh, Washington office for the ERLC, and mm-hmm. have uh, our proudest achievement is we have three wonderful grandsons. That is fantastic. Uh, yes, what am I learning in this period? I'm learning that I don't have much control at all. I'm realizing that I'm more of a control freak than I thought I was. I think I have dealt with that, and then this kind of comes up, and man, I can't do a lot of stuff. We just have to go with uh, the the hand that's dealt us, and uh, that's pretty much what we're doing, and we're learning week by week, especially in reopening, uh, that uh, everything is different now. Everything in the way we operate is different, and it's going to be different for a while. But that's okay. God's still in control. Our mission and vision has not changed. We just have to figure out new ways to do it. Amen, Greg. So many of us are learning that we're not in control, and we've talked amongst each other about how this time's revealing idols, and control is certainly one of those idols. Uh, So thanks for sharing that. So this podcast focuses on Christians and culture. Can you tell us what you and others around you are paying attention to right now in particular? Probably one of the main things we're paying attention to is is just the decision-making. You know, if you watch the news, people are all over the place on what to do and when to do it. Here in Texas, it's a little bit different. Uh, We seem to be um, leading the way as far as in opening up, the the state does. And so we have paid a lot of attention as to what the governor's office has told us we can and cannot do. And uh, so that's that's one thing everyone is watching the news uh, to see what's going on and 
Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Uh, what's next? Another thing I think that uh, I am seeing that I like is that people are rethinking their schedules. This stoppage has given a lot of people a break that they really needed and needed more than they realized. Um, I think especially with families, what I've seen, even with our most committed families who we can count on to do anything, they're all pretty much overcommitted with their children. They have them out doing things every night of the week and all good things, but uh, they're always talking about not having enough time to do things. Well, now they have had a lot more time at home and most of the families that I'm talking to, even though it's, it's stressful, especially when, when mom or dad are also having to work from home and be school teachers, they're, they're really enjoying the time that they've had. And I, I hope and pray that what they will discover is that they're fine dropping some of the commitments that they had beforehand. I hope they don't drop the commitments to church, and I think that may happen a little <laughs> bit as well. But overall, um, I think people are really loving the time that they have with their families. And uh, I know, I'm, I'm sure it's like this all over the country where you can get out, but I've never seen so many people out walking, jogging, walking their dog. And we've had longer conversations with neighbors that we've known for years but didn't really know. If you go outside and you run into someone, you're going to have a conversation. And I love mm-hmm. that. That's so good to hear, Greg. So uh, so you mentioned you're you're the senior pastor of uh, Brazos Point. And I should also point out that you are a member of the ERLC Leadership Council. And contrary to some folks out there who are kind of saying stuff about that, that doesn't mean that you're a paid contributor to the ERLC, but (laughs) it's a helpful resource. Well, but it's a helpful resource for us because pastors like you are a part of it and it helps us know what you're dealing with. And so for this third question, um, you know, like most churches, you were forced to suspend regular gatherings uh, due to coronavirus. You've recently resumed gatherings. Can you tell our audience a a little bit about that experience? What's it been like to be a pastor during this time and and now this new season of of kind of a phased reopening? Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Well, when it started, it was was just a shock to our system. And uh, we decided on a Thursday afternoon, I believe, I had just finished my message uh, for the weekend, we said, we're not going to have church this weekend. We just need to pull the plug. And so not every church stopped as soon as we did, but um, everyone else stopped the next week. And so we thought, okay, what do we do? Okay, this this message that I wrote, this isn't going to work this Sunday. So I had to go back and start over. But I was amazed. We have a, an incredible team here. And uh, everyone jumped in and we put together uh, an online service and uh, we live streamed for the first time. We've been doing podcasts for for years, but we live streamed and it all came together. It was it was really sad the first Sunday morning when I looked out and um, and I you know was speaking to an empty auditorium. Like, but I had to keep thinking there are people on the other end of this. And so we did that. We got into routine, and uh, and after a few weeks, it just kind of felt natural again. And uh, one nice thing is you know we normally have three services on Sunday morning. I got to sleep in a little bit and not get to the church till about 8.30 for a 9.30 um, live stream. But we got used to doing that. And then again, when uh, the governor opened it up and said, okay, you guys can start meeting again. Here are the, here are the uh, standards. You know, again, we um, uh, it felt very different. And uh, it felt kind of foreign doing all the things we did. Now this open auditorium that we dreamed of being filled again, now we had to uh, you know rope off every other aisle and uh, – uh, rope off the the foyer and close down all the the place where the coffee is and and the next step center and everything else and just plan to bring people in straight into the auditorium seat them tell them where to sit 
And, uh, you know, I thought that's really going to feel different. And I was apprehensive about what it was going to be like. But I, I tell you what, when the first people started walking in, it was just, it was like, okay, I'm so glad we did this. It felt great to be there. We had a very small turnout the, the first week. We've only done it two weeks so far. Um, but the joy that people had, even behind their their uh, masks that they were wearing, you could see their smiles from their eyes and their cheeks. And uh, it, it just felt great to be here. I think especially of one guy who was completely unchurched several years ago, and he came to faith here. And he is just couldn't wait to get here. He always wears psychedelic t-shirts or tie-dyed t-shirts. And uh, he had on a tie-dyed mask. And uh, I mean, just seeing him made it all worth it. So uh, even though it's very different um, and, and we don't really get to uh, experience community as much, we are experiencing worship together. And uh, it, it's really good to have some people back. For, for people thinking about, you know, starting back services, you know, we started back as soon as we could. And uh, we thought we would just fill the place up. We thought everyone was anxious to get back like we were. And what we discovered was most people were not. I mean, we have, uh, we, we normally have uh, 1,600 in attendance on the weekends. We had about 140 the first week and about, you know, a little under 200 week two. And uh, we discovered the people were not as ready to come back as we are. And I think the bigger lesson that we have to learn is there's a lot of divisiveness in our country uh, over, I mean, politics to begin with, and there's divisiveness over how you feel about what we have and haven't done, what we are and are not doing about this coronavirus crisis. But then also, I think the thing that we need to be careful about is just that that spirit of division can really come into even as you open back up, because there are a lot of different opinions about it. Our people are mixed on it. Some people are ready to come back, some are not. And I think we need to, I would say to pastors is, is just be wary of protecting the unity in your church as you, and the unity on your staff, uh, because uh, we, everyone has lots of opinions about different things. And even our church, people are, can be inconsistent. They can say, I'm ready to go eat in a restaurant, but I'm not ready to come back to church. And so mm. I think during this time, we need to be able to give people a lot of grace, give each other a lot of grace, and just know that just because we may not agree on everything, let's just keep moving forward together as much as we can and be patient with people that are um, uh, maybe moving too fast in front of us or not moving fast enough. That's that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned in, in all of this, especially in starting back up. Greg, what I heard there was just uh, the heart of a shepherd. Well, somebody who has deep concern and compassion uh, for his people, and I know that that is where so many pastors are, both in the SBC and just in you know other denominations and across the country, uh, that they are you know deeply concerned about their people and deeply concerned about protecting uh, not only protecting their physical safety, but protecting the unity of the church during this time. So, just want to say again, thanks so much uh, for sharing even that with us. Uh, I know it's going to help a lot of people. We're just faithful for pastors like you who lead the way in shepherding their congregations, regardless of what kind of circumstance and situation that we're in. So I know you're excited to see people slowly but surely trickle in and not be preaching to an empty auditorium anymore. Uh, So you mentioned Jeff, whom we love. He's on staff with us at the ERLC, and he's in D.C. um, with his wife and son. So Jeff, in many ways, is our forebearer with podcast hosting because he hosts the Capital Conversations podcast in D.C. And so we wanted to ask you a little bit about him. So could you tell us about how he came to be so passionate uh, about the intersection of faith and politics? Well, Jeff is a passionate guy. He is passionate about all things, anything. And I think he got that. I think he inherited that. Um, you know, he grew up in a home where I have always been uh, very interested in politics 
And uh, an interesting thing, the first job he got out of college was working for a, uh, a policy institute in Austin. And the um, one of the people at that policy institute is a, a former lieutenant governor of Texas. And I told Jeff, I said, Jeff, I uh, when I was a kid, I campaigned door to door for him. You know, uh, I was excited that Jeff got to be you know on a staff where where he was. Anyway, uh, so Jeff's always been in, involved. He, he's seen my passion for politics, and seen my passion for the church. I mean, the reason we started our church is we just we weren't reaching unchurched people. We were baptizing our children, but weren't reaching our unchurched. And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this to reach people who are far from God. And so. He got to be a part of that. He was a he was in fifth or sixth grade when we started, and so you know he just he he's just grown up in it, and um, you know he's he's from the time he embraced Jesus Christ, he was a passionate Christ follower, serving uh, as soon as he could in any avenue he could, and uh, and then you know he got off to school, and when he was uh, in college, uh, he he got involved in in uh, student government there, uh, and he was student body president at, at his school, and so. He has just always loved all things politics, all things church, and he couldn't have found a better fit than the ERLC to be able to merge those and, and learn how important it is to um, to not be partisan, but to be biblical in, in how you look at things. And I think the ERLC has been awesome in, in helping him understand how important that is and in, and in guiding him towards that. Okay, Pastor. So for this last question, you're going to knock it out of the park. I know it. So uh, people outside of Texas hear a lot about the way that y'all think things are bigger and better in Texas. So what are a few examples of the way that things are bigger in Texas or the way that Texas does things best, you know, at least in your mind? Well, yeah, everything is, is literally bigger in Texas. I mean, our, our, our pickup trucks are larger and uh, it, everything is bigger. We have... It, it, it Texas is really we, we call ourselves the Republic of Texas. You know, we we were a republic before we joined the union, and uh, things like uh, Tex-Mex is is you have better Mexican food in Texas. We definitely have better ice cream with Bluebell. Uh, we have better football. Um, Texas loads up the Southeast Conference and the Big Twelve Conference with football players. If they didn't have players from football, uh, they would really struggle. And of course, we have Texas A and M. I mean, it just doesn't really get any better than that. <laughs> you hear a whoop after that. <laughs> you yeah, knew I was going to say that. <laughs> I, I knew there was going to be an Aggie take in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yes, yeah. uh, that that is, um, and that that you know when you you ask about where Jeff got his passion, if he didn't have passion already going into it when he went off to school at Texas A and M, everything about A and M is about passion, and uh, so. He just gets it naturally now. Man, that is uh, that is so fantastic. And Greg, we just want to say thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us today. It has been really cool not to get an inside look at your family, but also to hear just from a pastor on the ground who is navigating uh, one of the you know most tumultuous and, and difficult times uh, that we've experienced as Christians and as a country. And so uh, you know, we just want to say thank you for taking the time. We're really grateful to have you on the podcast today. Sure, and thank you guys. I mean, all the, the topics that you're covering in this time are really helpful to us as well. So thanks for what you do. This episode of the ERLC podcast was sponsored by The Good Book Company, publishers of a new book called Abortion, the latest in the Talking Points series. In this short book, Dr. Lizzie Ling and Vaughn Roberts survey the Christian worldview and help us to think biblically, speak wisely, and act compassionately as we engage with the people, the questions, and the heartache surrounding abortion in a society with very different values. 
Dr. Lizzie Ling was a doctor for many years and worked in Africa supporting local churches as they cared for those affected by HIV AIDS. Vaughn Roberts is a pastor and author of many books. For more information about this book, go to thegoodbook.com. That's thegoodbook.com. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we talk to you about the things we've been talking about with one another. So, Lindsay, why don't you kick us off this week? My lunchroom is a documentary that we watched recently called McMillions. And it is about the uh, McDonald's Monopoly game. Y'all remember that? It's actually still going on. And it's about a scam that happened with the McDonald's Monopoly game that somebody pulled off. I don't want to give it away, but it's like a 20 plus million dollar scam that spanned 12 years. And it's fascinating. There is a little language warning, uh, but it is really fascinating. And the end is rather poignant, actually. And so I would encourage you, if you're looking for a good documentary, this is one that you need to check out. Okay, Lindsay, and that's a that's a great use of the word uh, poignant for my lunchroom. <laughs> no, thank you. I've been working on my vocabulary. <laughs> Given that you are the lead editor of the RLC, I, I want to commend that. <sighs> All right. So uh, look, this has been a a tough year, especially for students and especially for students who are graduating. But one company I wanted to to highlight this week is uh, doing a, a nod towards those 2020 graduates. So congrats. If you are in fact graduating this month or, or next month, uh, you get a free donut from Krispy Kreme. As a matter of fact, the donut franchise is offering a free Graduate Dozen next Tuesday, May 19th, to all high school and college graduates who wear their cap and gown or any sort of class of 2020 apparel when visiting store locations nationwide. Good on you, Krispy Kreme, for recognizing those graduates in a time of pandemic. And here's a quick question. Fluffy donut, what are those called? Yeast donuts or cake donut? Glazed donuts. Krispy Kreme. Glazed donuts. Hot and fresh. Come on. And yes, you should get them when the science is hot now. Cake. Glazed. Glazed cake. Get them when they're hot. Fluff. I don't want air in the middle of my donut on substance. All right. Well, yes. (laughs) So, okay. So for my lunchroom uh, this week, what I'm going to do is basically take over the lunchroom, which is not that uncommon. It's a thing that would really happen all the time. So I've got several things on my mind that I'm just going to like just, you know, throw these down real quick. So the first one I mentioned, uh, watching, planning to watch, uh, the Kennedys, uh, it's a drama, uh, series. It's a mini series about the Kennedy family. And, uh, I've actually been watching it, uh, with my family and it's been really, really uh, enjoyable. You can watch it on Hulu. I watched it, uh, several years ago and have been watching it again and have really been enjoying it. So that's a great way to pass your time. Um, and then, you know, two things I wanted to mention, because honestly, this is just what's on my mind is that, you know, last week was a really hard week. Brent, you mentioned how it's been a really hard year and it has, and it just feels like over and over again, there are so many times where I just want to say, well, somebody cancel 2020 or can we just move on, uh, past this season of just awfulness. But pastor, uh, author, speaker, uh, Darren Patrick, we learned last week uh, at the end of the week that he uh, that, that he lost his life. There were a lot of like unclear details surrounding like the circumstances of his death, but it was something that came as a real shock uh, to, you know, literally thousands of people. Darren was such a, an influential leader uh, in evangelicalism. He was a key leader in the church planting movement and involved with Acts 29. And, um, Personally, he's somebody that I've, I've learned and benefited a lot from his ministry. And so uh, hearing about his death uh, late in the week last week was really, really difficult for me. And then on top of that uh, was the 
was the news that uh, apologist uh, and speaker, author, uh, Robbie Zacharias, uh, who has just this global ministry uh, of, of helping people grasp the, you know, the truth and the truthfulness of the Christian faith. Uh, he announced last week that he has been undergoing cancer treatments and they've just reached the place where there's no longer any kind of medical uh, intervention that is going to, that they think would be successful. And so people have been sharing all over social media, just the, their memories of him, their, their gratitude for him and for his life and all that they've learned from him. And he's somebody that, that has helped me in, in seasons when my, my own faith uh, was struggling. He's somebody who has helped me uh, immensely in grabbing hold of, and of, of Jesus and of the central truths of the Christian faith. Okay, Josh. So as we move into our final section, the inbox, uh, I think we should let our listeners know that we lost Brent. <laughs> uh, and yes. so hopefully we can get him back for next week. So we're just going to finish this out without him. <laughs> Yeah, apparently they're having some kind of storms in Illinois where he is, and so that he no longer has internet. He doesn't. So we're sad to miss Brent, but uh, we did want to close out with a question, uh, and it is, as a Christian, I've been discouraged in my faith a little during this season of isolation. Is there any kind of resource you would recommend for me to read or watch? Josh, you have anything in mind? Yeah, like, honestly, just because I was just talking about him, like, if you've never taken time to uh, search on YouTube and watch videos uh, from Ravi Zacharias talking about Christianity, uh, those are have been, like, historically for me, like, some of the very most helpful things, most encouraging things uh, to help me grow stronger in my faith, to help me when I'm experiencing seasons of doubt or struggle. And so I would definitely recommend... Uh, that you just take the time to do that. And and not only that, but there's any number of solid resources you can uh, find on the internet from from Christians, uh, whether they're apologists or pastors, authors, ministry leaders, whatever. Uh, you can find that stuff. And, and sometimes just watching videos like that can be really, really helpful. Yeah. And I would also like to include some things that I've read when I've felt discouraged. So When I Don't Desire God by John Piper is one that has encouraged me and that I read during a tough season. Also, biographies or autobiographies of believers always encourage me when I'm struggling. So I love anything by Sharon James. And then uh, I remember reading Oswald Chambers' biography when I was struggling during a season. It talked about him struggling. And so those always bolster my faith. And then most importantly, my encouragement would just be to stay in the Word because we know it doesn't return void. And it's by faith that we do it in the midst of those times when we read the word and it seems to fall flat. But at the same time, we believe that the Holy Spirit is accomplishing his purposes within us. So so as much as you can, ask the Lord for help to stay in the word as well during this season. That's so good, Lindsay. And it's such a good reminder that, you know, at the, at the center of it, if you do find yourself, whether you're in a season of struggling or not, uh, to keep the word central in in your communion with God, there's really nothing better than we could say uh, than to try to, you know, encourage people to keep their hearts and their minds, their eyes focused on scripture. Because, you know, in his word, God meets us there. He speaks to us through his spirit. And it is how, it's how we grow. It's how we experience communion with him. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm really glad you said that. I thought that was really good. So we want to say thanks so much uh, for taking time to listen to the podcast today. Just as a reminder, you can find all uh, the things we talked about today linked in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, we would love it if you would uh, consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. Uh, We're always grateful for those and to see uh, more people. It helps more people connect with the podcast. But for Lindsay and Brent and myself and Brent, you know, being somewhere in Illinois, uh, we'll be back next week with more content.